Welcome to Wisdom Exchange TV, where we interview women leaders internationally who have had a social impact in their communities and beyond. I'm Suzanne F. Stevens, founder of the You, Me, We Social Impact Group and your host. In each episode, we'll provide actionable, conscious contribution insights to create a social impact to empower you, your organization, and your community. So lots of learning and inspiration, all to make your contribution count. We invite you to join the conversation and post questions on your guest's exclusive Wisdom Exchange TV page. Welcome to our guest, Roxanne Joyle, CEO and co-founder of Me2We. Roxanne is at the helm of the leading B Corp social enterprise that supports sustainable development projects of its charitable partner, We Charity. Roxanne graduated from Stanford, earned a Rhodes Scholarship, a law degree from Oxford, and was a clerk for the Supreme Court of Canada. But rather than pursue a conventional career, she brought her training back to the communities that first inspired her. She founded Me To We Artisans, a social economic empowerment initiative for more than 1,500 women in Kenya's Masamara and the Ecuadorian Amazon. Me to We provides consumers with impact-focused products, travel experiences, and digital offerings. Enables people to make doing good doable. Me to We empowers and impacts youth, families, and women in North America and around the world. In 2017, Roxanne received the Order of Canada. Welcome, Roxanne, to Wisdom Exchange TV. It's so good to finally have this opportunity to interview you after hearing you speak. I guess it's almost a year ago now. It is. Yes, thank you so much for having me here today. It's great. What was the catalyst for you to start me to We Artisans? I think it was in 2009. It was something that that grew out of something very small. So that's been a, such a privilege to have that, that process uh, underway. Uh, now, I had the opportunity to work uh, with the WE organization since its inception 25 years ago. And in 2009, we were in communities in Kenya, where we do our international development work with the communities through the five pillars of impact, whether that be education, clean water access, healthcare, financial opportunity, and food security. And it was always a dream of mine to be able to uh, create economic opportunity for women based on my experiences. Uh, throughout the course of university and through through law school and just really uh, incredible opportunity where uh, we were hosting young people in the field who were participating and learning about community development uh, and one of the facilitators of that trip mentioned to me that um, our, our young campers were really uh, enjoying uh, this one product uh, that the mamas in the communities would make which is uh, a Rafiki bracelet uh, so to say, which are, are beads uh, on stretch cord and kids would wear them a myriad of different ways. And so we decided to to leverage that 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 beadwork that the, the mamas, the women were doing in the community and to translate it into a series of products that would be relevant uh, to teens and tweens and, and moms and women in a North American market. And uh, we knew that these items would be ethically sourced, that they would come to market in very fun and exciting and fresh ways. It'd be product with purpose. And then we'd be able to give back from the proceeds of sales uh, into the communities from where these products came from. So it, it was a very organic process. It grew over time. I had so many mentors who taught me margin, who taught me some of these things I didn't know about. I was very lucky to come from a legal background but I, I didn't have any formal business training. And so I really sought the advice of people who readily shared it with me. 
And you mentioned the ethically sourced. You knew they would be ethically sourced. How did you know they would be ethically sourced? Well, at the time, I wasn't even thinking about it this way. We were completely vertically integrated at the time. And so um, not only were we the people working in partnership with the artisans to create the products, but that we would also then be able to set up the conditions for, for the piecework for the mamas within their homes so that they could actually make these items during their downtime so that they could still maintain their primary responsibility as household caregivers, as well as household heads in the fields. So when they would have a spare moment, whether they're having a cup of tea or in the evenings while the kids would do their, their homework, so to say, these mamas could be these rafikis and then bring these pieces in. But really, in a, in a really fun twist, eventually we had the opportunity to open the Women's Empowerment Centre, again, in Kenya, in a rural area, and uh, we were able to train uh, 500 artisans to come to the Women's Empowerment Center to eventually be much more intricate pieces of jewelry that required a certain kind of finesse and training inputs that were extremely valuable, um, you know, silver pieces, pieces that may have been, you know, uh, you know covered in, in, a, in a plated gold, just so that we could provide them with the enhanced training and the time and also the quality control that would be needed to create the consistent results. Because the Rafiki bracelets themselves, we give uh, mamas a bead mix um, of like many different colors and they're all individually hang, hang, uh, hand strung, so no two are alike, which is actually so much fun, uh, but which also made the, the, the product so easy to make, you know, within the home in their down moments. And so I, the vertical integration piece was so key. At the time, I didn't know it. I also realized that we were able to also pass on more meaningful wages to the woman uh, because of that vertical integration, which meant that the program would then be able to make more of an impact more quickly on the woman who participated in it. Which is great. There's a few things that you've said there and being that I've had the luxury of being in Kenya <laughs> quite a bit. I know what you mean, but I just want to make sure that our audience audience does. One of the, one of the things is mamas, calling yeah. them mamas, which, you know, we would not use in, in our and the Western language, but when you're saying mamas, you're referring to specifically. Yeah, women artisans, women artisans in rural areas of Africa. And oddly enough, uh, when you know I have the opportunity to travel to Kenya, I'm actually Mama Lily Rose, that is my name. And of course in uh, Kenyan culture, uh, you will be named after your firstborn child. It's funny because I used the word term mama in the book and I think I edited it out because I didn't know if everyone would understand exactly what, what that's meant. The other thing you mentioned, which also is extremely important, is recognizing that this is sort of a part-time job. This goes after the responsibilities in the home, the responsibilities in the field, and then they do this as additional income. Have you ever found that men have the appetite to also produce these products because it is paying above possibly market, market value? Okay. Market rate for other jobs in the area completely. So it's super interesting. The one caveat I would say is that there's still quite a distinction in the communities between what is perceived to be the work of women and the work of men. And so uh, culturally, from a very young age, uh, the, the people with whom we work, the Maasai, and also eventually with the Kipsigis communities with whom we work in rural areas of Kenya are, are taught uh, the art form of beading from a, a very young age. And so it is a little bit culturally enshrined that this is something that, that women do in their spare time, 
whereas men um, actually would uh, work with wood is, is a bit is a bit more common. And we were very happy to be able to establish a, a collective for the men uh, because we also are a hospitality organization uh, running lodges in, in, in different places around the world in, in Ecuador and in India as well as in Kenya and so we were able to establish a local gift shop that also enabled men to be able to earn revenue that way but it's very interesting at the women's empowerment center and again there either they were doing piecework within the home or for the more intricate pieces they were able to come to work for half a day and during that time not only would they come into work they would get their phones charged, which was just really important because mobile phones are so key to communication and infrastructure uh, in Kenya and in many parts of Africa because they leapfrog uh, the idea of landlines and, and other technology. They would get a cup of tea and also uh, have a bite of lunch before heading back to their homes to take care of what else they needed to do. And eventually we did have a few men who joined the program in a really moving fashion. We actually had a gentleman who joined us um, and uh, he didn't uh, have any, any legs. So this for him was just uh, extremely empowering to be able to, to earn to earn an income that is actually incredibly meaningful in the communities. And uh, eventually uh, men in the community, and again, we do everything in consultation with the community. We can't do anything with just half the community. And there was always uh, an understanding within the community that this was work that men had had a voice in saying that they were acknowledging and welcoming into the community. But eventually they would start welcoming their wives home as primary earners in the in the community like they would say they'd open the door and be like welcome home wife which was just such a change from previous ideas that women were actually more of a, a burden to bear rather than an asset to their family this episode is sponsored by make your contribution count for you me we a book written by suzanne f stevens it's time to act let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. Now, back to our show. You know, in my experience, that's often the case. So what ends up happening is the woman becomes the primary breadwinner, it, you know, which is happening in the West more and more, as we know. I <laughs> just make that plug. But it's also happening in Africa in many cases, because in many of the African, um, in Kenya particularly, but I've seen it happen in a lot of communities because they're, they're getting the opportunity to do beading or to do a lot of weaving. And why I had asked you about the, if men were getting concerned, is some men with some of the weaving organizations that I have interviewed, they have started weaving because it, although it was a woman's job, what ended up happening is they were making so much more money. And as a result, the men wanted to do all the weaving, but the mission was to help women out of poverty. So, it, you know, it becomes quite challenging, but you've managed, often there's a consequence when you help one group, but it sounds like Me to Wee's really considered that in the sense that you're helping both groups because yes, you started with the women, but you've also provided opportunity for, for the men so they don't feel like they're relying just on the women's success, but she's valued. Well, very much. And also they don't feel left out. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole other discussion to be had there around, you know, gender, um, colonialism, you know, why things are the way they are today, how they're evolving. And so again, our efforts with, with, with me to we in the artisans program was simply one tentacle of a much broader effort in the community, you know, uh, with, with we and we charity and partnership, we're building 
homeschooling schools and girls and boys equally have a chance to go to school, equal access to healthcare for all, food security trainings, and also economic opportunity initiatives whereby if people want to learn like enhanced financial literacy training, if they want to start their own small scale enterprises. And so nobody was excluded. Um, and this was simply a program somewhat tucked into a much, a much broader effort, which made it so incredibly effective. So often these women, they would work, they would earn. Uh, they were culturally part of what we would call merry-go-rounds or women's groups, which ensured that whatever woman earned, they would then be able to safely tuck away. It was her, it, you know, it was her money for the family. It wasn't necessarily taken away from her. Uh, and because she had a voice over those funds, what we started finding is that um, spouses, they would go to financial literacy trainings together and then launch their own small scale enterprises, which then men would somewhat then start to head up as women would go to work as well. So they were also business partners eventually in, in small businesses in the community. You're talking about several programs that are going on. What impact do you have on those programs? Or is that something that's set up there or that you facilitate or that you encourage? Or how does that all come to be? So we're so Midui Artisans as a program is part of a much broader series of initiatives from um, the, the WE family of organizations. We Charity um, is a charity based out of Canada. It's been in the market here in Canada for 25 years, serving its stakeholders, both domestically, we empower young people to, to have a voice. And then internationally, we also empower young people through education, but we also came to learn that their empowerment was also part of a much broader series of initiatives to establish just you know, fundamental um, infrastructure to help communities pull themselves out of poverty. And that's something, this We Villages program was something that we developed over time because we realized that tackling the issue of education and isolation it, overseas in many of these developing communities would not yield the outcomes that we were looking for, which was, you know, sustainable outcomes of communities who are empowered and who eventually no longer like we are no longer a part of, but are invited, um, you know, uh, invited visitors uh, and, and, and neighbors within those communities. And so our initiative was simply one part of many, which was always centered on our stakeholders and what they wanted to see happen in their communities and how we could simply uh, be, hold hands and do that together. Me Too We also offers travel experiences uh, to diverse groups yes. or youth, your university and your corporate schools. I believe that's a a big chunk of, of what you do. We do as well, yes. So volunteerism as volunteerism, if you will, there's been a lot in the news over the last several years and that we're doing more harm than, than good. So how do you structure your trips to ensure that they really are having a positive impact from, from the attitude of whoever you're taking to what happens on the ground? From a travel trend perspective, if we start there, I think people are looking for experiences that are a bit off the beaten path, or I like to say on the beaten path a little bit because you are in these rural areas. But of course, this has to be done in a way that's extremely respectful, and it has to be done in a way that also elevates the communities that you are visiting. And, and thirdly, and most importantly, you have to be welcomed visitors in those communities. So those would be the, the three key pieces there. You know, what I find so interesting is, you know, many people have an opportunity to go on safari in East Africa or in South Africa. And often they don't have an opportunity to, they have a great opportunity to see the wildlife. And I mean, that is also a wonder to behold. But they don't often have an opportunity to truly understand what life is like um, for people. 
in, in, in these parts of the world. And so truly um, our trips, our community trips are an opportunity for people to understand the joys because there are many and the challenges of living life in rural Africa. And we are invited guests in the community where we have an opportunity to learn about their way of life, about what every day is like and um, what small part that we can play um, as partners in this uh, to assist with any challenges that they have. And so we actually don't position our trips as volunteer trips. Um, I actually call them cultural immersion trips because they're, they're an opportunity to learn from others. And while we may be able to facilitate the logistics um, that are required in order for people to be able to visit the communities that we serve, our hosts on the ground are all local. And so uh, you're hosted by locals. And so I would say the way that we have managed our trips and our infrastructure and our programming is um, very remin reminiscent to what um, ecotourism uh, was like, I would say, in the mid-90s when people were looking to lighten their footprint and to, to better understand how they could actually make an impact and visit communities, you know, without uh, leaving a heavy carbon footprint. And our, um, our challenge to our guests and our visitors is it's an opportunity for people to learn about a different community, a different place, and to come back as ambassadors for them um, in the world so that we can better understand their way of life. So it's really an exchange. And in fact, every person who's come home from one of our trips has come back saying they've just learned so much. You know, they've been given so much more than they were obviously even able to articulate. Yeah, and I love what you're saying about the cultural experience because that that's really what you're doing. You're, you're going to learn and understand. Mm -hmm. That's it. And I've seen so many things go wrong and there's so many, so many tourism initiatives that to be perfectly honest, locals will do want because they make money from them. But the problem with them is they do some affect our human rights. And so it's, it's watching that balance of what can create income. And at the same time, really respect the human rights of all. Is that a big consideration as well? Like I, I think of orphanages, for example. Yes. Uh, I've learned so much about going to orphanages. I, I'll admit, I used to go to orphanages. I had no idea the impact and the money maker orphanages often can be until you start reading and educating yourself. So yes, it's good for the community, but it is not good for the human rights of the children. Yeah, it's very interesting that you would say, uh, I mean, it's an interesting observation. I, at the end of the day, because our efforts in terms of our lodges where guests have an opportunity to come and again, learn from local community members about their lives, it, this is our, whether our trips are operating or not, the work of we continues in the community. And so we are, we are embedded as partners in the community. And I, I liken this to when you have an opportunity to travel with us, you're simply invited guests into the daily life of what's what's happening during that time. And so we kind of seamlessly slip in and slip out, but we're not we're, we're, we're not an interruption. Like we are like we're active participants in the process, but we, we don't we, we don't disturb um, the communities. We've been able to hone and refine over a number of years. Again, we've been doing this for 25 years. And also, I, I mean, I must say it's, it's also not, you know, um, it, it's, it's not a, a hugely scaled project either. I mean, you know, it, these are fairly small groups coming at certain periods of time and it's like highly coordinated, very respectful. Uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a privilege. 
I think that that is a key message is you don't disturb the community. It's not like all these people are coming that we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to entertain, we take the kids out of school to educate. You know, I love that and I just wanna emphasize that because kudos to to we and to the entire process that you're doing because that's such an important some very aligned with my values and i just loved hearing that because i've seen disruption and go sideways okay well yeah. thank you suzanne if i can just say finally just in this time because we are speaking during a time of of the pandemic um and so it is a special period of time so just so you know from our perspective we have of course we have paused our trips programming at the moment and just so you know we have in fact repivoted all of our trips infrastructure to support community mobilization efforts to ensure um, our community members are safe and well so case in point um, we have a number of mobile tents for example like you think of these like mash style tents and we've been able to pivot that what normally would be um, infrastructure for guests who sleep that has all now been moved to our uh, world-class teaching hospital at Baraka um, Hospital, uh, where we will now be able to receive um, more, um, more, more uh, patients. And so, you know, a land cruiser maybe that normally would have transported a guest is now transporting community members and serving as an ambulance. So our presence in the community is, 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 is to be with the community and to serve their needs. And so at this time, point in time, we are focused on protecting them and saving lives where we can. Great segue to what my next question actually is going to be is, is how are you faring during the pandemic? But I want to talk about this from the business standpoint. Sure. Because there's a lot of, a lot of times uh, charities rely on donors and donors alone. And obviously uh, we has pivoted in 2009 to ensure that they're also getting money from me to we so that you can finance a lot of your initiatives. So Correct. fabulous, because that's, that is a gap. And a lot of charities right now are suffering because they are relying on fundraising. And let's face it, a lot of us don't have the money we used to. And even if we did have the money, where do we want to give it? Everything, everything's changed. So my question to you is, uh, first, how, how are you faring uh, with, with how you've created the charity and something that supports it during this pandemic from a business standpoint? Let me, let me begin with like what we, so we itself, uh, you know, as an organization um, that has uh, many branches to it and, and many of these branches were impacted. Um, our, you know, our work is in schools across North America. Clearly that work has been impacted. Uh, we hold stadium-sized events across North America. Clearly, that has been impacted. Mutui um, has, again, a hospitality organization that has been impacted, and non-essential retail impacted. So, you know, very quickly, we needed to gather ourselves together, figure out what does the way forward look like for us? How do we pivot and ensure business continuity at all costs because we exist to serve our stakeholder beneficiaries at the end of the day. So really happy to say that we've been able to aggressively pivot. I mean, it, in some days, it, admittedly, um, you know, it's hard to stop doing what you know, you know how to do so well and to, to, to take a new direction. But as they say, uh, necessity is a mother of reinvention. And so really happy to say that our, our we days and our, our, our schools programming has now pivoted uh, firmly into the digital space. 
And we had been working on this digital transformation over the last three years because we also knew that this was how we were going to be able to scale. And then from a trip's perspective, we have had to take a pause. We've, we've taken a pause because at the end of the day, this is not the right time to be traveling, uh, you know, on for, for everybody. And, you know, that day that will come back and we've been able to, again, pivot our infrastructure to serve the needs of the community. And from a non-essential retail perspective, um, you know, we have actually paused our production uh, because our mamas, who are our makers of the product, who, you know, who stream these beads for these items need to hunker down safely at home. We've been able to diversify um, our sources of um, consumer facing revenue um, over time. And so we are also in, in grocery. And so we actually have midweek coffee that changes lives and midweek chocolate that changes lives. And people are consuming a lot of coffee right now. So there's, you know, there, there you know, it, it is that, that, that daily act of comfort and Zen for people during a very un, unpredictable time. Um, I think people do have small stashes of chocolate so far as I can tell from what's happening in our, in our, in our, <laughs> people looking for a little bit of joy again, and a little bit of comfort. Our breath was also part of our ability, our strength to be able to pivot. And we're in the process of re reinventing ourselves. You know, even when we think about, we're, you know, very dominant um, in the area of office coffee. Uh, we, we partner with Van Hood Coffee Services in Canada. We know that the office landscape will change. So we're asking ourselves, what kind of new programs do we, do we need to put into place that people can have their cafe at home while they're working? And so we're just really now actively exploring how do we, how do we ensure that our, our product and our services remain relevant um, in a post-COVID environment. So diversity is the key. Uh, it sounds like diversity, then of course, being responsive, but also being strategic. And, and the fact that you were... And I get it. I'm in the meetings industry. I so get we none of us are going to see an audience for this year. And it, it saddens me tremendously, but we're all going online. That yes. being said, I was going to go online. That was my yes. intent. Yes. And like yourself. <laughs> and yes. now it's just it's like the only difference now is there's everybody's there with us. True. So that's the only the only challenge. Now we has a very prominent name and, and your niche market is very much um, identified. So you will get the followers, which leads me to your other beneficiaries. When you think of your beneficiaries, who do you see as your beneficiaries? Uh, our beneficiaries are the young people we serve here in North America, um, especially for our, our schools programming directly. But again, there are also people who have grown up with us over time. And we also provide people with the opportunity to make an impact with their everyday choices when they're at the grocery store, whether they're online, uh, you know, buying online at, 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 their, at their own grocery stores, you know, with through the coffee and the chocolate offering. So um, those are our, I would say, like our domestic stakeholder beneficiaries. Uh, and then internationally, of course, all the communities we serve. And in fact, in that case, we've actually doubled down in our efforts to ensure that we're ensuring their safety, that they're getting the education and awareness that they need, and also uh, where needed the acute care to, uh, to save lives. What would be to the the biggest challenges or hurdles to sustaining your social impact, uh, be it now uh, or previous to the pandemic? I, and I'll just speak from it from the, the perspective of Mutui, which is a social enterprise that creates products and experiences that allow people to make an impact and make a difference through their everyday choices. Um, it's always about maintaining product relevancy and also discipline in your business. Um, so what I'm finding is that anything that was kind of like, you know, is, you know, the COVID has now just definitively 
it's done. Like it's, we're done. And, and you need to honor that moment and we need to honor it because uh, you know, there, you know, some, I mean, this has been a terrible time for so many. So, but from a product perspective, we, we, we let it go and we need to uh, work in those business areas that have possibility. I mean, the other key piece when you speak about being strategic um, is um, where we just took a moment to quote unquote, get off the highway, so to say, was to just ensure one, as we were looking to retool the product for a post COVID environment, uh, we're asking ourselves, what do the customers want? How do we validate that? And then, you know, if we're making tweaks in the tweaks to the product, how do we test that product really quickly, see if the market responds and then continue to scale that. So it's also given us the opportunity to go back to being a bit more, I would say entrepreneurial, so to say, because, you know, once you start experiencing success, you need to start putting really firm processes in place in order to maintain your, your quality control, but this ability to get off the highway and to, again, accelerate the reinvention of your product with the experience that we've been able to get over the years, we've been able to create a framework of a bit more discipline on how we test product and how we decide whether the product will then continue to grow in the marketplace and, and, and scale versus it doesn't work. Let's let that go. And then let's go back to the drawing board and figure something out there. So, you know, skew rationalization, you know, how many skews do you need in the marketplace for chocolate? Um, you know, does your coffee need to be in the office in food service? Does it need to be in essential services at the you know, convenience store? I mean, we're just looking at what the business plan should be moving forward for, for 2021. So what do you see the three most important initiatives to make your social impact sustainable? Well, the first thing, most importantly, is that you're, you're, you're serving a real need. I think, I, I mean, I think that would be the most, so if we're speaking about the veracity of the social impact, I think it's important to validate that the difference you're seeking to make and the way that you're doing that is, is, is welcomed by the beneficiaries who would benefit from that. So that would be number one. So from a sustainability perspective, and, and, and its ability to make an impact, um, I would say the second most important thing is that um, how do you ensure that you're able to maintain that impact? Um, like, how do you support that ongoing impact? Um, so for us, the way that we do that is through, through you know, we're running a, 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 a responsible business. And so we, we need to ensure that our, our T's are crossed, our I's are dotted, that uh, the product is resonating in the marketplace, that we can continue to feed these initiatives and, and to feed the impact. And then I think the third thing would be is what, um, when you are thinking about the ongoing sustainability of that impact, what kind of programming are you putting into place that enables you to say, if, I'm, if, if something happens tomorrow and I'm not able to continue on this mission, they will be okay. And so what are you doing for that? And so for me to be artisans, for example, the financial literacy training was so key in working within cultural groups was so key because you know if something were to happen like candidly like covid covid happened mm -hmm. if they were no longer able to to make bracelets they're okay they have kitchen they're hunkering down at home they have kitchen gardens that they can go pluck their food out of healthy food out of to feed their families they have access to a hospital and equal access to a hospital and they've been able to leverage their savings and their earnings to start other small businesses in the community great insight for sure. Now you're, you're the CEO and we've been talking a lot about your beneficiaries external to your organization. I want to just switch 
as the leader of, of me to we and leadership advice that you would provide, particularly to engage your employees in, in the mission of your organization. This has to feel like a calling to people, but at the same time, they can also apply themselves professionally to that calling. So um, I think people really enjoy being able to apply their business acumen to uh, an opportunity that really makes a positive impact. I mean, I think that people find that really fulfilling, knowing that we spend so much time at work. Uh, we were very fortunate pre-pandemic pre that um, we'd also uh, be able to take our employees overseas every two years to have an opportunity to meet the stakeholders that we serve overseas. And also we host a number of events where um, our staff also have an opportunity to interact and to learn from uh, our beneficiaries, our young beneficiaries that we serve here in, in, in North America, whether it actually be through focus groups, whether it be through scheduled events, just also being able to create a culture where we're always learning. And so we're very fortunate that through our network, we have an opportunity to meet like very, very wise people who have amazing experiences and always hosting sessions where people have an opportunity to hear the perspective of others so that they're always growing professionally and personally. In Canada, you have a lot of collaborators. Internationally, you have a lot of collaborators. I mean, you're, you're everywhere. So what would be two insights you can provide regarding selecting a collaborator and also keeping a collaborator? Oh, okay. That's very interesting. So first of all, a partnership is always a partnership that has to be win-win. It, 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 there, there truly has to be an exchange of value. Um, in order for it to, to be successful and to ex accelerate. So that's number one. So I always ask myself, what can we bring uniquely to the table in a partnership um, that will help deliver for the objectives of our partner? So that, that to me is always um, my, uh, our, our, the way that we approach our partnerships. And I'd say in terms of being able to sustain them, um, I think it's just really important to, to, to give and to give wholly, not always to expect to receive. Also, from a, if I, so that is from like a philosophical standpoint, I truly believe like what you put into the ocean eventually will, will come back. And then from a business perspective, I always, I firmly believe in joint business planning. That is to me so critical and key with our partners. And so I always undertake an exercise that once, well, at a minimum once a year, we sit down with our partners and we look at the year ahead and we ask, what are your objectives? What are you seeking to achieve? How can we dovetail into that and amplify your efforts and then undertake quarterly business reviews uh, with our, our, you know, our, our, our key partners. I love that. Uh, and I love doing the joint business plan. Oh, so critical. Otherwise, how do we know, how do we know how to best add value? And you learn so much. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> you learn so much. And then, yeah. and then you become part of their family, which yeah. is amazing because you, because you stick together in the good times. And in the hard times. I'm a big fan of what I call symbiotic partnerships. So you truly are feeding off of each other and that high trust is absolutely essential. So key. Is there a particular collaborator, be it institutions, government, whatever, um, celebrity, because uh, you have collaborators there too, that you would recommend people to look at when you're trying to amplify your mission? Oh, I mean, we're so incredibly fortunate, um, you know, from a, a, a from the content creator standpoint with our, our V days. Um, uh, we also have a, a series of digital events in addition to broadcasts, both in, in Canada on CTV, in fact, and, and in the U.S. 
what's really important there is that we provide a platform to our content creators to be able to speak to issues that they're passionate about. So again, what is that symbiotic relationship is that we're providing the platform and then they're providing the content and the message that's just so incredibly relevant, which is amazing. I mean, I mean, we're very fortunate. We have the opportunity to collaborate with uh, a number of uh, corporate partners um, to uh, foundations, donors, governments. I mean, you know, we, we, we run the gamut. We all have our own, uh, you know, specialties on, on, you know, what our objectives are and, and the people we serve. Um, you know, if I think about some of the great initiatives that we've had uh, from a, a bit more of a social enterprise perspective, it's, uh, I would say, in the uh, coffee space has been with Vanhood Coffee Services, uh, which uh, they are a national distributor of, of coffee. And it's just been um, really exciting to be able to create impact on a daily basis uh, with um, their customers and to be able to communicate that impact. Uh, we always call it like from bean to cup and back, uh, which is exciting. And, you know, people drink coffee all the time. They have a little cup in the morning. They've been able to make an impact. And then we're able to, through Vanhood, uh, speak to their customers and to let them know that their consumption is driven you know, financial literacy training for 46 women or so it's, yeah, no, it's been great. It's, it's been, it's been super, but employee engagement also with your partners is so super key, letting them into your mission, giving them an opportunity to participate in that. And in fact, to that point, I was just uh, meeting with my team uh, today and, you know, we're also asking ourselves, what does employee engagement look like in a post COVID environment virtually? I mean, we used to have an opportunity to uh, host our, our guests at weed day or to take them overseas. And so we need to challenge ourselves now when we will do it is, you know, how do we maintain that, that connection and, and create moments between business objectives so that we can also solidify our personal relationships with people. Excellent. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here and just get a little, a little personal, not too personal. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Roxanne. You're like, whatever. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so what would you say to date is the most rewarding aspect of your career? Hands down, it's the opportunity to work with my team. Working with my team. They bring me such joy. It is an honor to serve with them and to learn from them. And it's just so much fun, especially as I, you know, inevitably continue to tick up <laughs> in age. Our, 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 um, our, our market is, you know, uh, millennial uh, Gen Z, Millennial, Gen, uh, Gen X, and then also Gen A. And so I love meeting Gen A and Gen Z, and they give me the lay of the land of what's happening, and I'm, I learn so much from them as well. And it's really fun to meet our Millennials who join us also in the workforce. And I often ask them at onboarding sessions, like, how did you hear of we? And they'd say, I was in a we club in grade two. And I say, oh, and the pipeline was long for recruitment, you know, so it's, it's, it's for sure that it's, it's, it's our team and also our team overseas, you know, our incredibly dedicated team overseas who right now are like risking their lives to help their fellow community members. So what would you say is the, is the biggest challenge that you have? I, I am never, I am never satisfied with the status quo. <laughs> it's my biggest challenge. I always feel like there's more to do. Um, our best is always good enough, but there's always more that we can do. So I always feel like um, there's, there's more good that needs to be done. And so I just always want to figure out the, the best way to, to be able to uh, scale and deliver impact. And what would you say is the most significant decision you've made in your career? Oh my goodness gracious. I know it's a uh, tough one. <laughs> these, are, these, uh, these are good. 
well, certainly the what you know, it's funny. I mean, you could call it serendipity, but uh, again, I'm uh, a lawyer by training. And so I, I have all the, the classical training of a lawyer. And when the moment came to decide, do you head down the more conventional path or do we embark on the, the unknown? I, I, chose, I chose the unconventional unknown path, which has led me to where I am today. So, I mean, that was, that's probably quite significant and we're kind of downstream there quite a bit. So. But that was, a, that's a fork, right? It's that's a fork. A fork. It was a, yeah, it was, yes, it was, it was a, it was a firm, it was a firm yeah. fork. So, yeah. yeah. And, and we're glad you did, Roxanne. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I did as well, but we have been <laughs> very blessed. We've also been very blessed. It's also very important to recognize that we have had some good luck as well. So what we have you done that has made you uncomfortable, but had you not have done it, you would not have had the social impact that you are having today. Listen, I think uh, it's having uh, those courageous conversations with your partners to be where where you end up growing. Uh, I, I, you know, listen, we've been through other bumps, uh, economic bumps, like we've gone through recessions, and um, you know, it's you know, it always feels you know feels like you're always kind of pushing uphill a bit. And I, honestly, I would say it would be to have the courage to pick up the phone, uh, to have those difficult conversations with partners to figure out like, how do, we, how do we come out of this together? So when I recognize that I, I can tell that I'm, I'm heading into a place of, of discomfort, it only to me accentuates the importance of what needs to be done because it is something that's very important. And so what I always do then is I ensure that I am extra prepared, uh, that my my, my performance, and I don't mean like performance, but, but my, the manner in which that I conduct myself and prepare myself for this moment, um, I, I invest very heavily in that and that I do a good job. Tell me something nobody knows, such as, <laughs> you're like, no, what, what's, what's, next for, what's next for you? That's a great question. Um, listen, I, I have, uh, well, I'm, uh, I have a, a partner and two children ages eight and five. I, I work a lot. Uh, I would say um, if I if I can just I'll just be very open. Um, one of the unexpected outcomes of this pandemic situation has uh, perhaps it was expected that we would be home for quite some time and not traveling, but it has also made me realize um, how important they are uh, to to us, and they're also really an important stakeholder uh, in, in 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 our lives, and so. I'm trying to figure out how do I build a, a mission, how do I continue to build and rebuild uh, an organization that has scale and has tremendous amount of impact, but perhaps just get really smart about uh, the amount of effort in for output um, that would enable me to be more present um, for my kids, because that's for me a bit of a, is, is, is something that I would like to do over the, over the next few years. So that, that certainly is on the list. And then build my team and give the team the opportunity to delegate that work and to delegate the accountabilities and let them grow, provide them with the coaching they need, but to let them grow as well. And then that's a, that's a great way to do it, right? As an empower, empowering your team so they don't need you as much, which, cool. would be, which would be great. So thanks for sharing that with us here. So we're just gonna wrap us up a little bit here with a fun rapid fire. Okay. These are these are short and sharp, and I know it's a Friday afternoon. Uh, so let's see. But let's see. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> What's the one thing you wish you knew prior to engaging down the path of a social impact business? 
uh, I wish I'd had more a bit more classical uh, training in business. Worst piece of advice you ever received? Something's impossible. Everything is possible. Which of your strengths do you rely on most to have the success you have achieved? I would say it's my EI or my EQ. Besides your beneficiaries, which I understand are many, which beneficiary do you think needs most investment, time, research, money? Well, I certainly have a big soft spot for uh, women's issues and women's rights. So I would say I'd, I'd have to zero in there. <laughs> okay, excellent. So I'm just going to say a word. Fire back the first word that comes into mind. And don't worry if we have to edit, we will. <laughs> All right. So it is. Okay. Community. Woman. Purpose. Always. Meaning. Table stakes. Contribute. Have to. Conscious. Again, fundamental. Sustainability. Incorporate. Collaborate. Amplification. Consistency. Discipline. Learn. Grow. Lead. Inspire. Legacy. Privilege. You. We. The general me. Individuals. We. Together. Excellent. Thanks, Roxanne. I don't have to edit any of those. <laughs> Thank you so much, Roxanne, for, for your really insight. That was super thoughtful. Thank you so much. Actually, you've given me food for thought. Oh, good. And this, you know, and that's what I love doing these interviews is, is just starting to think a little differently, both for our audience and for you and for me. And uh, it's selfish, to be honest, because I learned so much. Thank you, Roxanne, and thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to Wisdom Exchange TV so you receive each new interview notification in your inbox. Please share this interview by going to the share button located on the page. You can read, listen, or watch this interview. If you know someone who has had an extensive social impact in business, education, civil service, or advocacy, let us know. Visit the guest tab on wisdomexchangetv.com and submit the information. Our research team will take it from there. Lastly, if you haven't contributed to the community or you want to celebrate someone else's contribution, visit join the movement tab on youmewe.ca. Your contribution counts campaign. For every contribution listed, the you, Me, We social impact group will donate $1 to a woman's business or education, moving her from poverty to prosperity. So I am going to turn the second last word over to Roxanne and put her right on the spot yet again. Do you have any words of wisdom for our audience regarding contributing to society? Uh, be aware, educate yourself, and when you're ready, take action. Excellent. Great advice. Thanks so much. This is Susanna Stevens. Until next time, make your contribution count. This episode is sponsored by Make Your Contribution Count for You, Me, We, a book written by Suzanne F. Stevens. It's time to act. Let this book be your guide to having a sustainable social impact while living your most meaningful life. Thanks for listening. <laughs>